We welcome to the show our weekly conversation with Mike Wan, the commissioner of the LPGA. Mike, good morning. How are you? Morning, Michael. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. It's always good to catch up with you. So, so uh, give us a little insight as to uh, what's taken place over the last little bit. I know we've we have uh, postponed the start of the the LPGA uh, season just a little bit farther. Yeah, uh, Dow uh, Great Lakes Bay Invitation, which would have been our first event the week of July 13th, is going to hold off on 2020. I think the good news for me in all these, I mean, you, you work hard to find good news in a in a crappy COVID situation, but the good news is virtually everybody who's who's either decided or just simply couldn't play in 2020 has extended their agreements with the LPGA. So as I tell players all the time, you know, it's one thing for somebody to say, I can't play. It's another thing for them to say, I can't play, but I want to be with you much longer. So we're excited to know that we're going to be going to Midland, Michigan, playing that team event for years to come. They, they also are a network TV deal with CBS. They've extended that deal. Uh, so we know that's going to be on CBS at least in 2021 and 2022. So, uh, yeah, nothing easy about uh, about COVID. I've said from the beginning, the 2020 schedule, no matter what it turns out to be with travel bans and all kinds of other things, will not be the season that anybody you know wanted when the season began. The most important thing, I think, for any business leader is to make sure that 2020 doesn't become your new baseline. So we're working hard to make sure 21 and 22 are not only strong, but quite frankly, stronger than anything we've ever put together. I want to come out in 2021 and 22 with the strongest schedules in LPGA history, because the only way you could put COVID uh, behind you is to make sure that in the next year, you're not still feeling lingering effects. Interesting, because as you bring up what what next year looks like, there's obviously going to be um, some big questions as to what's going to happen in the next year there, you know, with with the information that that seems to be available. And I'm sure you're well more uh, in tune with that than we are. But it seems like there are some people that think that we'll have a vaccine uh, by the end of the year, there are some people that don't think we're going to see anything until um, April. And, and I'm not asking you to tell us exactly what the, the schedule is going to look like. But let's assume for the sake of argument that uh, these tournaments that uh, and, and, and across the board, I'm not just talking about LPGA, across the board, PGA Tour, USGA, Masters, whatever. Let's assume that everything goes as planned here in this next little bit. You start seeing... Because yours is a little bit more challenging. You're getting people coming from uh, your players, your caddies are all over the world, and you travel all over the world. And the dealings with all these different um, countries is is quite different. But assuming that everything goes the, the way that we expect it to go, do you think that um, there will be things that you will have learned from this year, in sp- and, and be specific if you can, that will help you continue uh, into next year? Because there's a lot of talk of, well, there might be a spike and there might be a regathering and, and the wintertime and all these different things that are going on. I know this is a hard time for you, but just give us an idea of what this is going to look like if you could. Yeah, I mean, there's a few questions in there, so I'll, I'll do my best and you remind me if I if I miss the mark. Yeah. But I think the uh, the three things I would tell you is your first assumption that, you know, let's assume that things will go the way as planned through the rest of this year. The number one assumption that I'm dealing with right now is none of my plans for 2020 are going to go as planned. I, yeah. I, I just know that now after living through this in my case since, uh, you know, since late January that uh, we put together the best plan we can for 2020, but you also realize that 2020 is not going to be totally in my hands. You can fight this as, as much as you want. Um, but I realize that I've got a plan for 2020, and I also realize when I get to Christmas of 2020, I will not execute every piece of that plan. Which piece I haven't executed 
is the you know is the million dollar question. Uh, we've just got to be prepared for change this year. So that leads us to knowing that 2020 is never going to be either what you wanted or even what you thought. You know, four or five months later, the question is how do you make sure 2021 is stronger? You're right. I mean, I think myself and probably a lot of commissioners and CEOs are banking on the fact with over you know 25 different vaccines in some level of testing right now and almost all of those being fast-tracked in different countries. I think the odds of us having, you know, having some answers to this um, by 2021 are, uh, are better uh, than, than not. So, you, you know, you, you kind of walk into this thing saying, let's make 2020 as good as we can make it. But as I've said to my team from the very beginning, don't come back and tell me, great news, Commissioner, we, we, we saved this thing for 2020, but this sponsor, this tournament, this TV deal – is going to be in jeopardy after that. We're much better off, I think, right now making sure, like I've said many times, COVID only kills the LPJ if I have short-term vision. If I'm so focused on 2020 and doing everything I can to get players out there and forcing sponsors to do things that they legally have to do and, you know, finding every fine line I can to get folks out there, um, and um, then that's the way I could potentially hurt the LPJ long-term. You wake up in 2021 and 22 with half the schedule, half the sponsors, um, and your own kind of health issues on tour. So, um, but the last thing I think you asked is what do you learn from this that goes in next year? There's no doubt that um, going through this process of just about how to be a safer and be healthier are going to create some, you know, some changes in terms of how we, how we treat the tour, how we treat our sponsors, how we treat the volunteers. Um, because I think now having lived through this, all of us probably believe, at least I do that COVID may, may not be the last one that we deal with. So, putting things in place now that won't be strange if we have to come back and put them in place later, uh, we'll be fine. What I don't want to do is have COVID go away and have all the planning and understanding we created go away with it. Commissioner of the LPGA, Mike Wan, my guest this morning. Let, let's um, You talk about health and the well-being of players and caddies. We obviously are aware of uh, Missy Peterson, who's Brittany Lincecum's caddy. She has uh, come down with this COVID um, uh, virus, if you will, she uh, it, it's you guys aren't planning on starting for, for quite some time. So obviously that, that really isn't going to be necessarily a scare, but it does lead to believe that, you know, it's this is a challenging, very challenging time. What is the what's the process that you all have in place as you start up again, when you start up again? Should one of your players, one of your caddies come down with uh, the the uh, the virus? Yeah, you know, to be honest with you, I read about Missy in the in the same article probably you did. I did not know about that in advance, and that's uh, you know that's fine at, at this point. No one has uh, no one has to call us in that situation, but it's the first time that it really hit that close to home. Yeah. I think to answer your question, um, when we get playing again, you know, players are going to expect as well caddies um, that we'll be testing probably before they leave for their first event. So they'll have to complete a test. We'll be testing every week. Uh, on tour so every sunday and monday we'll be doing covid testing of the of, of our small bubble of staff caddies players anybody that's close you know to the action in terms of volunteers uh, and we'll redo that every week on top of the fact that we'll be doing face recognition thermo scans you know virtually every day for anybody who's um, for anybody who's on site and uh, and with our crew uh, that being said i've said this in the beginning there's no uh, there is no way to keep a tour or a company or anybody else completely 100% safe. I mean, I could, I could go to Walgreens today and, and contract yeah. it no matter how much you're trying to stay safe. So yeah, we've got regulations that we're building now in terms of what happens if somebody uh, constricts it. We've got a really good um, 
security partner, you know, that's been with us a long time in global rescue that we're working with right now in terms of being able to fly, fly players. Should somebody of player or caddy constrict the, the disease to be able to get them back to wherever home is for them to be quarantined. We're still working through that now, but it would be nice to be able to provide that assurance to a player or a caddy that if this happens to you, we can get you back um, to wherever back is. Now that still requires both the, uh, the governments in terms of where we're playing to allow you to leave and the government in terms of where you're going to allow you to arrive. But I think that's a, that's a service we're working hard to try to get in place by the time we start playing. Let's talk a little bit about um, one of the events that we we hope is going to take place, the U.S. US Women's Open. The USGA just announced that they are going to try to operate their events, and they're only going to have four of them, but they're going to try to operate these events um, with a very, very small crew, uh, maybe 2,000 people on property. Um, I would imagine that you have gone through these conversations with John Bodenhammer or some of the people um, within the, the USGA. Give us a little insight into, if you can, um, what sort of how those decisions come to be. I know you're not part of the USGA, but I would imagine, too, that there's a working relationship that you have with the USGA, particularly when it comes to the, the U.S. Women's Open. Yeah, I've been really impressed with the USGA's commitment to Get, get us a U.S. Women's Open in 2020, despite all that we're dealing with. And when, when Mike Davis called me, this is a few months ago now, maybe I don't know, it's time, time all kind of stands still in this era. But when Mike first called and said, how would you feel if I played a U.S. Women's Open in the middle of December? Um, you know, and of course, you know, at that time, there all the options were on the table and there was 47 different, you know, schedules in front of me. And we started talking about dates. And I said, how are you going to play a full field? Well, the champions, they've got two courses and, and to, to the USJ's credit, I mean, they, they realized pretty early on that if we're going to take a shot at a championship this size, um, buying ourselves as much time as possible. So we actually built a lot around, you know, that schedule. Our, you know, our tour championship moved to the week after that. Um, and from the very beginning, their toughest challenge on, these, on the men's and women's opens was, uh, was the qualifying process. They not only do them here in the States, but they do them all around the world, a lot of state Golf associations just simply weren't open, and they didn't want to tell them to have to be open. A lot of countries we wanted to play, you know, you couldn't play golf at the time. So um, to me, this is this is one of those, the best outcome of a really bad situation. I realized that moving their championships back allowed their championships to be uh, probable again. Um, but I think to do that with um, with any kind of qualifier process just didn't work. So like a lot of things in 2020, the 2020 U.S. Women's Open will be different than how we've ever played it before and likely how we'll ever play it going forward. And I think people in, in the sports world, just like in the business world, are going to have to get used to the idea that 2020 is just going to be an anomaly year and everyone's going to try to do the best they can. I think the USGA realizes that financially and from a, and from a um, TV perspective, that championship is so important to women's golf that not playing it is, is really tough, both on the players and on the fan base that, that women's golf created. So my hat's off to them to, to making some tough decisions. I, you know, I'm living those every day where you say, geez, this just doesn't feel right. And in any other year, I wouldn't do it this way. Um, but the alternative is to not move forward. And that conversation goes through, you know, I'm sure Mike Davis and John Bodenheimer's head and mine virtually all day, every day. I, I can't imagine what your days are like, and I would imagine that um, as, as you're kind of, again, with, with the family doing the things that you're doing, your brain, your telephone, everything is just, it, it's just nonstop. But, but 
we did have a time to celebrate the game of golf this this past weekend and specifically on Sunday. Um, I, I, I'm curious if, if you got a chance to watch the event and then as a result, how proud were you of the game of golf? Not just the LPGA, PGA Tour players on it, whatever, but just the game of golf and, and, and its ability to raise five and a half million dollars to go towards um, all the things, the nurses, whatever's COVID that, that uh, it, it has done. And we're going to see some more live golf this coming weekend. Live golf seems to be back in whatever way it is back. It's a great celebration of the game. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, unfortunately, I did not get to see it personally. I had two uh, college graduations virtual this weekend. So made a commitment to my wife that uh, I would be golf-free on Saturday and Sunday afternoon because, I mean, while you're right, I have been home for a few months. Um, she would probably argue hasn't really been present, which is probably <laughs> fair. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we focused on my kids' graduations this weekend, which is another strange way to graduate in the in the living room. But uh, exciting to, uh, to, to see. I, I think – not just the fans, but I think the sponsors, the TV partners, everybody that's that wants to get back out there, but has this this uh, you know this nervousness about whether or not it's right or whether or not it's wrong. Um, as you start to see it and it becomes more normal, I think you know it just leads to more. I think it's good for my schedule to just start seeing golf, even if I'm not the one playing it, because I think people start to realize that it's okay to both sponsor events, to use our athletes to raise money for the people that need it right now. So. It um, doesn't surprise me a bit that golf you know, raises money the way it does for coronavirus because I think the whole premise of golf from the very beginning in the professional level all the way back to I think when Dean Beeman set it up this, this way on the PGA Tour is this is a, you know, a charity-generating business, and we've been doing that for 70 years on the LPGA as well. So I'm excited to, I'm excited to see it back on TV. I wish I would have uh, seen it myself, but I think it, more important than me seeing it was the rest of the world realizing that we can, we can golf we can do it socially distanced. I mean, I've played plenty of golf during the break. There is, uh, you can actually go out and golf. And I think the games, the games being rediscovered by a lot of people during this break. Professional golf, especially at my level, is a little bit more challenging with players from 40 countries and 170 different kind of TV contract people trying to make it work and flying in from all over the world. But um, that doesn't mean the game of golf can't flourish, despite the challenges all have on the professional level. And so, to that point. Um, the LPGA Tour has has gotten involved with uh, a, another charity skins game that we're going to get a chance to um, see on the 24th. Uh, it's it's not in the U.S., but give us an idea as to um, this event and, and, and what this means to you, what it means to the LPGA. Yeah, I mean, I think when you, you know, a couple of the top female golfers in the world right now are, are in Seoul, Korea. The fact that uh, they can come together, play a skins game, raise a lot of money. For coronavirus, I also think in Korea, I mean, Korea has been my guiding post back in the month of March through a lot of this because I felt like Korea was ahead of us both on the problem and the solution. So when when America was still trying to get its head around coronavirus, um, a lot of my partners and my team, I have a, an office in, in Seoul, Korea, was kind of giving us guidance on how they were working through it. And there, was, there were really just expectations, what we should expect in America if what's happened throughout Asia kind of comes here. And so I don't know that I would say it lessened the blow, but it, it sort of got us our heads around what we were fighting with. So to see the people in South Korea actually play an event this weekend, to see you know see golf come back there as well, it gives it gives me hope. You know, in terms of what's happening in some of the countries that really couldn't even talk about sports two months ago, now starting to lead the lead the way back into sports, um, makes me feel good about what two months from now could feel like in America. 
Mike, we always appreciate the time. I know you're very busy. We don't take it for granted. So thank you so much again for uh, for coming on. And, and uh, we will uh, look forward to talking with you again in a week with hopefully some more great news. So thank you so much for your time, as always. You got it, Michael. Take care of yourself.